Hey, this is Annabelle Bacon, one of the producers here at Death, Sex, and Money. And this week, we're re-airing our most listened-to episode of all time. It's called Let's Talk About Porn. We wanted to revisit this episode because we've spent the past few weeks on the show thinking about how we learn about sex. And for many of us, pornography plays a role at some point. And as you'll hear in this episode, our relationships with porn can be so complicated. You sent us stories about how porn helped you get comfortable with your sexuality and also how it's damaged your relationships out in the real world. Okay, here's the show. Currently, my wife is out of town. We've been married seven years. For the past 20, I have been addicted to pornography. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Hey, man, got a big box of porn for you. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I don't actually have sex other than when I do porn. And need to talk about more. I thought all porn stars had fake boobs. I'm Anna Sale. Hi. I'd ask that you not use my name or my location. I would like to remain anonymous. We got this voice memo last spring from a listener I'll call James. He'd stopped looking at porn months earlier, at his wife's urging. Now she was away, and those old cravings were coming back. It is hard as fucking nails for me to want to not do anything about it. She's going to be gone for another 11 days. I'm afraid that I am not strong enough to make it on my own. I hope I am. We'll find out. Hearing this message made us wonder how more of you feel about porn. So we asked you, and a lot of you responded. Porn? (gasps) My husband and I both watch porn. We almost didn't get married because of it. I was living this double life of being a goody-goody church kid and getting just (laughs) depraved as hell on my computer every night. If I'm not having sex, I'm definitely watching all sorts of porn. It's very hard for me to watch porn and not feel like I'm watching women get raped. I would watch it, I would masturbate, and then afterwards, I would just feel gross. Even though it confused the hell out of me, I'm still thankful for it. I swear, every time that I do look at it, I I really believe that it will be my last time. But then sometime within the next week or so, it creeps back in and lures me in. You told us about when you first learned about porn, what turns you on, how you use porn, and why it's caused real problems for some of you. Something else we learned about porn? It is hard to talk about. We use porn in our most private moments. So when I asked you about it, even my most basic questions could sound really intrusive. Do you watch on your phone, on your laptop? You know, it's like desktop. I need to be comfortable. Phone is easiest. How do you hold your phone up while you're watching? Uh, with my left hand. <laughs> this is very technical, technical questions. At their request, we changed all of the names of the listeners in this episode, including this woman who asked to go by Rose. It wasn't until she was in her 30s that she first came across porn on her smartphone. So I was looking at Tumblr, and it popped up to my surprise. And what did you see? It was a scene of two people coming into a room 
and they had oral sex and then they had uh, traditional sex. Did you like watching it? I did. I was at first I was, you know, kind of shocked and I was at my mom's house. So, you know, I had to put it away and then I went back and looked at it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and well, I mean, the first part of it, it just, they were just like, they were in love. And I, that I was also going through a heartbreak at that time and really craving affection and love and desire and seeing that acted out. Um, I found it satisfying. Did you discover things by watching porn about what turned you on? Uh, a little bit. I did I did get dissatisfied that the camera was always focused on the woman. I was like, I want to see what the guy is doing. What is he how is he reacting to this? But I would notice there was one girl and she just looked to be enjoying herself so much that I was like, wow, I I would like to experience that. Rose spent a lot of time with porn that weekend. But after that, she says it started to feel boring and scripted. She doesn't watch much anymore. Antonio, on the other hand, is relying on porn more than ever. The first thought that comes to my head is, thank God for gay porn that I didn't do anything because I would feel so horrible right now if I had. Antonio recently moved in with his boyfriend of two years. They're monogamous. But that's not always easy for Antonio. You know, I have these thoughts, and these thoughts will start growing. They'll start getting closer to the surface and bubbling. I think a lot of me and most of my friends when we talk about it, I think it's a pretty general term, is that you get thirsty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and everything triggers a thought. So when you're, when you're feeling that way, do you go back to certain scenes or certain videos that you know have, have turned you on before, or is it always kind of something that's novel and, and different? No, there's definitely themes to the, the types of videos that I watch. What's your type? How would you describe it? It's always it's mostly scenarios where there is a relatively older man, a, a younger man, doctor patient, teacher student, best friend's dad with best friend's friend. There's, yeah, there's definitely some sort of authority thing going on with some sort of like generational gap and, you know, old leading the the young. Before he started dating his current boyfriend, Antonio experimented with trying out some of these fantasies in real life. It was interesting knowing if I actually live this in reality, will will I want it a lot in reality? Mm -hmm. And will I maybe read myself a porn and just have this and then maybe that'll be my thing. I know that I want to be with a man who's older. And I had a couple of real life experiences and they were great. They were fantastic. But they were still not realistic. There was a disconnect where I liked them. I enjoyed them. I fantasized about them. I don't know if I want my to have them in my real life. I want my real life to be what I, what I have now. You know, it's just two guys in their early 30s. And there's no, you know, stereotype or archetype. Figuring out your relationship to porn when you're in a relationship with another person is something a lot of you have tangled with. I think I hide my porn watching from him. Anytime we'd have sex, he'd have to watch porn to to get going, which was a real kick in the balls. (laughs) You know, it makes me feel inadequate, and it makes me feel like you're looking for something that I can't give you. In a married relationship with little to no sex at all, 
I needed some sort of a release. I would watch with boyfriends or, you know, my husband now. This was a secret thing that he did. And uh, the only reason I found out is because I caught him one night when he wasn't in bed with me. She doesn't care too much. Like, she's okay with me watching it. She just doesn't watch any on her own that I know. Maybe she does, but I don't know. This is Martin. He's open with his wife about how he uses porn. But when he got a letter in the mail that threatened to reveal his habits publicly, he panicked. I was frightened. Like, very frightened. Martin had been illegally downloading porn. A company tracked him down with his IP address and demanded $1,000 for every video. That's actually like a really, really big number. Like, in my case, it would have been over $30,000. Then the, the attorney said, like, why don't you offer them 10000 and let's make it a deal? And they accepted. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Did you have the $10,000 to pay a lump sum? I did. I was lucky enough to have it. It's money I, I have from my emergency fund. And, and if something goes wrong with me or with my family, then the money isn't there, like, my wife and I want to have want to have children, and you know, like all that money will have been very well employed into like medical bills or or anything for the kid, and it's not there. When did you tell your wife that? Immediately. Was she angry with you that you were going to lose this amount of money because of illegally downloading porn? Oddly, no. She actually was very supportive of me. Which, I mean, it sounds weird because it's such a stupid way to lose money and it's enraging. Do you still have the porn that you downloaded before? Well, they make me pay a lot of money for those movies. So, yes, I kept them. I, I actually have <laughs> it's them. It's your $10,000 collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never watch them because it's painful to think about this, but they are there. Martin says he still watches other porn. He streams it now, most evenings after work, after he walks the dogs and before his wife gets home. He says it's relaxing. Coming up, we hear from people for whom porn is the opposite of relaxing, including James, the listener who was trying to resist while his wife was away. I love her more than I love the porn. And eventually that was one of the largest motivators for me to want to get clean and start talking about this. Back when we first aired this episode, we also featured a listener we're calling Lily. She wrote an email to us in 2016 titled, I don't watch porn, I am porn. Well, every weekday, I get online, and I am a cam girl. And so what that means is people can pay me to do certain things that are sexual on camera. She started right after she graduated college. I had a part-time job. I wasn't starving or, you know about to be on the streets. I didn't need, need the money, but I wanted it. Lily performed every Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to noon. She told us she made anywhere from $6 to $300 in a shift. Like, I will flash 
my boobs for this price or show my butt for this price or um <laughs> I'm sorry I'm feeling like shy about it Back then, Lily told us she wasn't sure how long she'd keep camming. So we wanted to check in with her to see if she's still doing it today. Yeah, I actually just did yesterday. No, it's, it's more sporadic than it used to be. Lily works full-time in education now, but she says she still gets on camera once or twice a week. It can be really fun, and I make some money doing it, and that's good enough, I guess. We also wanted to know what Camming had taught her about sex that she hadn't learned growing up. I was pretty sheltered growing up, and so once I got to college and I was on my own, it was like, I couldn't stand up for myself. And that's something that's changed so much. I definitely say no to people all the time when I'm Camming, because you just have to. There's no other way to do it. You have to have a thick skin, and you have to be sure of yourself and and know how to to deal with people in a polite way, but also just be really firm. All month long, we've been talking about what you learned and didn't learn about sex in our series, Our Sex Miseducations. If you want to hear all the episodes in this series, visit deathsexmoney.org slash sexed. On the next episode, Anna talks with poet Nikki Giovanni live on stage about her 50-year career, which started at the height of the Black arts movement in the 1960s. I'm not going to get killed for writing bad poetry, but there are people who have gotten killed for trying to tell the truth. And so I just think that all I wanted to do was my share. And, and I had a story to tell, and I thought that I should, I should tell it. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death Sex Money. We are so excited to see you there.
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. One of the things we heard from a lot of you about porn is how it's shown you what you like and what you don't like. I am an avid porn watcher, and I have been for many, many years. I've um, been able to explore my sexuality with it and kind of hone in on what it is that I like and what it is that turns me on. I've definitely noticed that my taste has gotten more extreme over the years. She has sometimes the role of the kind of assertive, dominant person, and sometimes I do. One of the things I do really enjoy are um, lesbian porn videos, which is funny because I'm straight identifying. I think we have a very fulfilling experience because of our um, knowing what we want and asking for what we want. I've never really watched it with a lover, but something I would be open to, but it's very, very personal to me. A listener named Michael has been watching porn and collecting it since he was a teenager. He sees it as the ultimate form of self-care. You know, there you know there are days where just everything goes wrong, and it's just like, you know what? I'm going to give myself this, and it's going to feel good, and uh, I'm going, you know, to use this beautiful material to love myself for 20 minutes. Michael's married now, and he watches porn a few times a week. He keeps his collection on a special hard drive that he hasn't shown anyone. My porn is really, really boring. It, you know, it's like these videos of um, domestic couples making breakfast together and then having sex, you know, and it's beautifully lit and shot. And so, you know, it, it made me realize, okay, like this more sadomasochistic stuff is not, is not for me. You, um, you were drawn to, like, domestic scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? Huh. Huh. <laughs> um, and also, it was an affirmation, I think, of of who I was as a person. I had a lot of questions about, or I, I, didn't, I didn't have questions. Let me rephrase that. I didn't have questions about who I was sexually as, as a teenager. And, you know, I've always been attracted to girls. But when people meet me, their first assumption is that I'm gay because I have a... Um, I have this feminine, uh, uh, these feminine gestures about me, the way I carry myself. And, and so I think watching porn completely in private and investigating in what aroused me, like, gave me a very safe space to figure out and affirm, yep, this is, you know, this is what I like. Hmm. Was that comforting? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you ever felt like you're using porn too much and you need to let go of it? Yeah, I do. I've there've been times um you know, well when you're a teenager it's like all night, but you know, like in my like mid 20s or so, it would just be, okay, I've done this for 3 hours. That's probably too much. <laughs> but then like deleting the collection is like a gut reaction. It's like a knee-jerk reaction to go extreme in the other way and would you delete it? Yeah, but then of course I always have a backup. You always you know, have a backup. And, and you know you have a backup. Always always have a backup, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so you would you would delete it because you felt ashamed. Yes. And then I and then I would say, "Wait a minute." Where is that shame coming from? Why do I feel shame about this when it feels so good? And I think, all right, you know, what would happen 
if I died and, you know, my wife's, you know, like rooting through and my family's rooting through my belongings and they find my hard drive filled with porn, were they going to think, oh my God, you know, my son, how, you know, how could he look at all this porn? It's just like, why is it not accepted to be attracted to beautiful images? I don't have shame in it. Like, I'm happy to admit it. But you're, you think about what will happen if you die suddenly and what people will find. Yeah, if they, you know, they're going to find this collection of high art erotica that I tend to like a rose garden. <laughs> it's highly curated. For Michael, porn is precious, something worth protecting. But for some of you, porn feels like a major threat. It's taken you to dark corners of the internet and of yourself, like for Daniel. When it got really bad, it would be like several times a day. And um, I was looking at it like outside of the house, like on my cell phone at work and uh, like in the bathroom and stuff. Um, like you would take your phone into the bathroom at work and yeah, watch yeah. a video? Mm-hmm. That was about three years ago. It was not a good time in Daniel's life. He was drinking too much. He gained a lot of weight. His relationship with his longtime girlfriend was fraying. And, you know, uh, it just kind of all culminated into this, like, giant all of shit and where uh, I just started to feel really disconnected and ended up, like, in the hospital, uh, like in the uh, psychiatric ward. Daniel has OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. One of his symptoms is intrusive, recurring sexual thoughts. My OCD kind of all started with these um, sexual thoughts about children. And I've never hurt a child, never been inappropriate in any way. It's just those thoughts have popped into my head when, you know, I'm having sex. And that's, those are, that's another thing that I have to talk, I've had to talk myself down from. That must be terrifying. Uh, it sucks, you know. And um, it was really terrifying for a long time. Daniel says he's never looked at child pornography. Just having those thoughts about children was deeply upsetting. He says he was using other porn to escape those thoughts. Daniel's getting therapy regularly now. He's on medication, too. And he's completely eliminated porn from his life. But he says... It's hard to stay away from it. So I still think about it on a daily basis. And um, I would definitely say it's like a, kind of like a craving. Do you think it's because of your particular mental health makeup that porn is difficult for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why, you know, it wasn't something else. I just feel like that, that was probably, honestly, the best sort of vice that was suited for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it a problem in your relationship? Uh, it wasn't one we talked about, but, I mean, it, it was definitely a problem. You know, she would say that when we had sex, sometimes it felt like I was uh, looking, like, at her, not like, like she was an object. Um, just, like, taking in her body and not, like, taking in her. Um, and and I, I can kind of, I mean, I, I know what she's talking about. It was, like, kind of a disconnect. Hmm. Is it... Is it possible to have sex that doesn't feel hard now with your girlfriend? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, is there ever a time when we have sex where I don't have to talk to my brain? Like, 
use my conscious part to talk to my sort of unconscious part? No, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not good. So, like, what's a sentence that, that you have to tell yourself? I'll be like, that's not real. That doesn't mean anything. It's, uh, I'll be like, that's not really what you want. Like, think about what you really want. Has it gotten simpler since you've eliminated porn from your life? Yeah. Yeah. In, I mean, what, in what way? What's changed? Um, I don't go down that rabbit hole. Um, I know it's like an addiction, but I want to pull myself, but I know I can't look at it. Like if I go on the internet, I'll start typing into a browser and I will want to type in like the address to a porn site. I can feel it and I'll just breathe. And I just would, I know how terrible it would feel if I went to one, how bad I would feel even just going and looking at it. Even if I opened it and closed it, I would feel so bad. It's hard because it gives me a really intense feeling, a really intense uh, sort of uh, pleasurable feeling, but it's also usually followed by a lot of shame, too. Daniel describes a rush, followed by regret, then the urge to do it all again, like an addict. But the idea of porn as something you can be addicted to is a controversial one. The American Psychiatric Association has not classified porn addiction as a mental disorder. And this month, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists spoke out against the idea of porn addiction, saying scientific evidence is lacking and the term can unduly pathologize sexual problems. But understanding porn as an addiction has been useful for James, the listener who was waiting for his wife to get home from her work trip. I'm afraid that I am not strong enough to make it on my own. Were you strong enough to make it on your own? I did. Um, I was in a, in a place where that feeling of, of being overwhelmed by loneliness was um, a really bad trigger for me, but I kind of pulled myself out of my own head. When was the last time you consumed porn? somewhere in the range of about a month ago, I relapsed. Um, at the time I relapsed, I was about 380 days clean. And um, I was very upset with myself that I allowed myself to cross that line. Porn has been an issue in James's marriage for years. He and his wife were both virgins when they got married. And his wife told him his porn habit made her feel inexperienced and inadequate. Finally, my wife looked at me one day in the car. We just had a big fight. Um, I told her, again, that I'd looked at pornography. And she said to me, I'm done. I said, she says, I have nothing left. Um, you're either going to find a way to walk free of this or I'm walking away. So it was an ultimatum. Yeah. It was a very clear ultimatum for me. What do you do to try to control the enticement to just go to a porn website? Well, I'm very um, open about talking with my wife. I actually have software that monitors my web usage and submits a weekly report to her and to other individuals. Wait, to your are, wife? 
to my wife. Yeah, I, that's my choice. So she receives a weekly report of you know websites I visited. If she sees a, a trend, you know she'll she'll approach me about it. In the past year, you know, it's been like less than three times that I've had issues with porn. It's like my wife has turned to me and said, you know, and she voluntarily just came out with, you know, I feel like this is the best year of of our marriage that we've ever had. And we've been married, you know, for a while. I mean, you know, in full disclosure, I've had some of the best sex in my life in the past year. No matter what, whether you use porn or you don't, talking about it makes you get really honest about what you wonder about and what feels like a step too far. Sharing your browser history can be more exposing than sharing your sexual history. Actually, I wouldn't mind it if somebody I was dating found out what I was looking at. I'd be like, go for it. In fact, I'd share it with them. I'd hope I'd, hope I'd share it with them. Jennifer says when she's dating, it's helpful to bring porn up because it quickly reveals someone's personality and values around sex. I'm always, I'm like, when do you watch porn? What kind of porn do you watch? And I feel like it makes guys so uncomfortable. And it's not that I'm trying to push their buttons, but I, in a way, I want them to be comfortable with talking to me about it because I think it's important to just get it out of the way and... You can have kind of a better sex life. I mean, not kind of a better sex life. You, you can have a better sex life when all the cards are out on the table and people are willing to discuss. What did you learn from porn about what you like? <laughs> I can get really psychological about it. I think a lot of people, um, you know, I, I, my tastes have definitely changed. And then I'm like, what does this mean about me? trauma in my childhood, you know, just psychoanalyzing yourself. But I think it's easy to just, you know, kind of explore, especially on Tumblr and be like, oh, I, this is, I could get down with this today, but maybe not tomorrow. Um, And, and see something that might be a little too extreme and be a backpedal. Like, I'm not going to go down that road. You mean that sort of like, there's the one part of you that's exploring, like, maybe this is going to turn me on. And there's the other intellectual part of you that's like, is this healthy for me to be indulging? Is that what totally. You and then when you're, and then when you orgasm, you're like, who cares? It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to so many of you for sharing your stories about porn. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Ali Lesperance and Rich Rinalik. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Thanks to Hannes Brown for additional original music and scoring in this episode. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money. And please go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate to support the show. Most of the stories we got from you were about internet porn, but some of you took us back to simpler times when you'd wander into the adult section at the video store and admire some of the great titles of yesteryear. 
you know, like shaving Ryan's privates. Those are my favorites. Um, Mr. Holland's orifice. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 